I just want to echo what Pastor Chris said earlier. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today, no matter where you are in life, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. We just sang about the grace of God, His majesty, and I had goosebumps, and I know it wasn't because it's cold in here. At least I think it's cold in here. So, Mark chapter 5, we'll be starting in verse 21, and I'll be reading through the end of the chapter. And I will try not to repeat the same line twice like I did last week. So follow along as I read Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come. And lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and a weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Father, we come, Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, your word tells us that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So, Lord, I ask that it would pierce our hearts this morning. Lord, may we focus only on you and you alone this morning. Cast away all the distractions in our life that we would hear from you. In your name we pray. Amen. This encounter that was just read to us screams with desperation. In fact, the two people that we see in this encounter are two very, very desperate people indeed. They are at the end of the rope. They are at the edge of the cliff. 
and life is hanging in the balance. They find themselves in two very desperate situations, and almost, if not completely, they are hopeless. This is the world where we live. It's a world that has been dramatically broken by sin. It's a world where desperate situations are a regular human experience. A father is facing the death of his little girl in one of these encounters. It's not supposed to happen this way. Children are supposed to outlive their parents. And so you can almost feel the helplessness of this father as he's watching his little girl slip into death, and there's nothing that he can do to prevent it. And then a woman is suffering from an issue of blood in her body. It's been a chronic disease, we are told, for for 12 years that is destroying her life. And the best of human help has not been very helpful. In fact, this woman, we are told, has, has suffered from many things at the hand of many physicians, and all she has gotten from it is poverty. Now, if you're in the medical profession, don't take offense to that. There was not a whole lot of understanding about the pathology of disease in those days. But these are nonetheless two very desperate people in two very desperate situations in life. However, when Jesus shows up in these encounters, everything changes for these two desperate people. In fact, that's what we are supposed to see in these encounters, is that after proving that he is Lord over the demons, as we saw last Sunday, Jesus now proves once again that he is Lord over disease and even over death. That's the big idea that we just read about. That's what Mark wants you to take away here this morning. All of these situations were considered impossible in the Lord's day, just as they are still considered impossible in our own day even now. But Mark is showing us that Jesus has all authority over what is impossible for you and I. Demons, as we learned last week, disease, and now death. Listen, they surrender completely and immediately to Jesus' sovereign authority. And Mark wants us to have hope within the midst of these impossible situations, which seem so impossible, so hopeless. Now, this text that we just read, the scripture passage that Dane read for us, is what we call a a sandwich structure, because it begins with an encounter of this distressed father, and then it is immediately interrupted with an encounter of a diseased woman, and then it ends with the distressed father again when his daughter dies. And so what we have here before us is really two stories wrapped up in one big story, and the whole purpose of this is to show us that Jesus is Lord, he has authority over disease and death. Jesus can heal the most hopeless of people, regardless of what seems to be an incurable disease. And Jesus can intervene in the most hopeless of situations. In fact, he shows us that by, in this particular circumstance, raising to life those who have died. And so now, for us here this morning, as we look at these two encounters 
let me just pose the question for us. What desperate situation are you facing in your own life? Right now, this very day, at this very hour, what desperate situation are you facing that appears impossible and it seems beyond all hope? And first of all, know that Jesus cares for you. He cares for you in your desperate situation. He cares for all people in desperate situations like the one that you are facing even now. And second of all, know that Jesus is Lord over it all. He has authority over what is impossible for us. So let us then, let us see in these two encounters and let us leave us As we look at these encounters, let us leave us not overwhelmed so much with our desperate situation in this fallen world, but let us leave here impressed, first of all, with Jesus Christ and his authority, his power. And let us leave with hearts full of hope that Jesus is Lord over everything. So let's look at it. Let's unpack it. And what we unpack this, and what we find, first of all, is this desperate intercession. This desperate intercession where where Jesus now hears the plea, he hears the cry of a very distressed father. Mark gives us a setting for both of these encounters here in verse 1, when Mark tells us, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. So as we saw last Sunday in the encounter with the demon-possessed man, Jesus has now sailed across the Sea of Galilee, and he's now back on the other side. And once again, great crowds of people are following Jesus everywhere he goes, this time on the other sea of the Sea of Galilee near Capernaum. Jesus has been teaching these crowds of people. He's been healing them, and now a large crowd gathers around him once again, just waiting in anticipation to see what he will do next. And so notice what happens next in the midst of this enormous crowd in verse 22. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with them, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Now, we shouldn't read this too quickly without just stopping for a moment to feel the emotion of the situation, the emotion of the moment here, the drama, the desperation, and even perhaps the despair of this father as he encounters Jesus. And what we see here is this very desperate request, and then we see a very compassionate response And notice this request by the father is desperate, and we could summarize it this way. My daughter is dying, Jesus. Come and heal her. Who is this father? Well, Mark tells us that he's a ruler of the synagogue. He's named Jairus, and he approaches Jesus with a desperate request. Now, Jairus is an important man in the community in which he lives. He's highly respected among the people. As a synagogue ruler in that day and age, he sat on the council of the synagogue. And he was not a priest that 
He did not perform priestly duties. Instead, his job was to help care for the synagogue and even to help supervise their worship services. And normally, the, he would not have anything to do with Jesus at all. He would have no interest in this one who claims to be the Messiah, the Savior. In fact, by this time in Jesus' earthly ministry, the, the, quote, the religious world had already begun to position itself against Jesus. They were seeking to kill him, some of those in the religious world. But this father, he's desperate. His 12-year-old daughter is seriously ill and dying, and we learn in the parallel encounter of this, Luke's version in chapter 8, verse 42, that she is his only daughter. And so this father is desperate, and nothing else matters to him. And so dropping his pride, dropping his dignity, he himself, he falls at the feet of Jesus to beg Jesus to come home with him and heal his dying daughter. Now, Mark doesn't tell us, and so we don't know how long she's been sick. Luke doesn't tell us in his version either. We don't even know the exact nature of her illness. All we know is what Mark tells us here. She is at the point of death. Having a sick child. That could be somewhat troubling, can it not? For parents, perhaps even for a grandparent. But seeing your child on their deathbed, listen, that's a whole nother ball game. That is gut-wrenching. And we can hardly imagine the sense of agony and, and the desperation of this father unless you have lived there and been done, done that. And, and some of you have here in this room. Burdened with such desperation over his daughter's humanly hopeless condition, Jairus knew there was perhaps one person who could intervene and help him. And so he broke through the crowd, this enormous crowd that is pressing in around Jesus, and he begged Jesus to come home with him and heal his only daughter. And so whatever Jairus might have thought about Jesus before, listen, it didn't matter to him now. He humbly and he urgently came to his only hope in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jairus came to Jesus because he believed there was a, a glimmer of hope in his heart, an element of faith in him that believed enough that Jesus could do for him what no one else could do for his little daughter. And now we see this very compassionate response by Jesus to this desperate father's request, where it simply says, we're told by Mark, he went with him. And that is just amazing when you think about it because this father begs Jesus to come with him and Jesus drops everything and immediately went with this father. Now, can you imagine the hope rising up within the heart of this father at this moment? Jesus is coming to my house. My daughter is going to live. Remember, your desperation it, it invites Jesus' compassion. 
Your situation is no match for Jesus' mercy. Your problem is nothing compared to Jesus' power. And so whatever hopeless situation that you may be facing even now in your life, listen, like Jairus, humble yourself and seek Jesus. He is the one with all power and authority over demons, disease, and death. And so Jesus starts to go with Jairus to his home. But again, remember, they are not traveling alone here because a great crowd followed him, according to verse 24. In fact, this crowd was so large, it was so intense that it says they thronged about Jesus. In fact, that Greek word for throng, it means to to crush, to, to press in. In other words, perhaps Hundreds of people in a mob-like crowd are pushing their way towards Jesus. They're elbowing, they're hip-checking, they're trying to get to Jesus. They're pressing in on Jesus as he starts to walk towards the house of Jairus. And in the middle of that crowd, if you might imagine this, was this very dear woman who was just as desperate as Jairus. And that brings us to a very desperate interruption where Jesus stops the suffering of this diseased woman. Now, we cannot fully appreciate this encounter apart from this woman's situation as well, her desperate situation. And what we see here is that Jesus is not too busy in one task to stop and help someone else who is suffering, especially one who is desperate, determined, and hopeful in him. And so let me just point out a couple of observations here for us to take note of. Notice, first of all, the horror that she endured, it was prolonged for 12 years. 12 long years. Notice the horror of her situation as Mark describes it for us in verse 25 and 26. And he says there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Now, a few things to point out for us here. This woman is suffering from what Mark calls a discharge of blood, most likely some type of menstrual bleeding. And this meant that she was not only sick and in pain and probably unable to have children, she was also ceremonially unclean, which meant that she was not allowed access to the temple. She was, in fact, cut off from her Jewish community. That means she's alone and suffering. This woman has been bleeding for 12 long years. That means as long as Jairus has been enjoying the life of his daughter, this woman has been suffering in her life. For 12 years, she's been isolated. She's been ostracized from her family and friends. For 12 years, she's been treated as an outcast and cut off from her community. And also, take note, this woman was incurable. She had spent, we're told, all of her money on doctors, on 
not just one doctor, but many, many, many doctors, we are told. But her condition is beyond what they can cure. So now she's not only lonely, but she is poor. And her condition, we are told, is only growing worse by the day. And then lastly, did you notice this woman has no name? That's not by accident. Because what Mark is doing for us, he's contrasting Jairus with this woman. You see, in contrast to Jairus, whose name everyone knows in the community, this woman is nameless. In other words, in everyone's eyes, she's insignificant, but not to Jesus Christ. And so here's the point to all of this. There is no one too messed up, no one too unclean, no one too insignificant to get Jesus' attention. And at the same time, there's no one who is so prominent and so powerful that they do not need Jesus in their life like Jairus did. But the reality of it is some people don't come to Jesus because of their unbelief. They just don't think God can help them. They don't believe God can help them, so they don't come. They don't seek Jesus, and then some won't come to Jesus because of their pride. In other words, in their heart, they say, I don't need Jesus. I don't need what he has to offer me and what he wants to give to me. And both of these, on either end of the spectrum, will keep you away from the one person who cares about you most and has the power to help you best. And so this poor woman was desperate. She is bordering on hopeless, but she had a a ray of hope that Jesus could heal her. And so we see in the second observation here the hope that she embraced. Although it was desperate hope, it was also determined hope. Look at her hope in verses 27 and 28. Look at it. Look how Mark describes it. She had heard the reports about Jesus. And came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I just touch his garments, I will be made well. So if you're in her shoes, in the face of 12 years of suffering, this woman had hope. Probably just a smidgen of hope, small hope, feeble faith we might call it. But it was enough where she thought I could be healed because of what? She had heard about Jesus. And so somewhere in her life, somehow, she heard about Jesus and his miracles. She had enough faith to believe that if she just touched his garment, she could be healed. In fact, it might even be possible that she heard about Jesus' healing power from simply touching his garments. After all, we are told in Luke chapter 6, verse 19, that All the crowd sought to touch him, that is Jesus, for power came out from him and healed them all. And perhaps she knew about that. She heard about that. She says, I can be one of those people that get to Jesus and touch him. Now, regardless of how she heard about Jesus or even what she heard about Jesus, listen, this desperate woman was determined to get to Jesus. And so she pushed through the crowd so that she could just touch him. And perhaps at this point, this woman viewed Jesus with less than what we would call mature 
biblical faith. Perhaps she's even more influenced by pagan superstition than the reality that Jesus is Lord over all. Her theology, while it is probably a little bit misguided here, listen, her hope nonetheless is determined. Spiritually and physically desperate, she did the unthinkable, she did the unacceptable, she reached out and touched Jesus' garment. And what happened? I mean, she was instantly healed in a stunning miracle by Jesus Christ. In fact, we see that this healing that she experienced, it was powerful, it was personal, and it was profound. Look what Mark tells us in verse 29. And immediately, in other words, instantly, the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Now, we don't know exactly what she felt inside her body. We're not told. But she felt something. She felt something change within her body, and she knew she was healed of her disease. She knew that there was something different about her. And so what unbelievable joy she must have experienced after 12 years of suffering. I've always been somewhat fascinated by what we read next here in verse 30. Look at it with me again. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? This is Jesus asking this question. Does that mean he didn't know? Well, I think Jesus knew. I think Jesus knows that power had gone out of him. And and so he looked around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And And you just got to love the disciples' response in verse 31 here. And the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And Luke actually tells us it was Peter. He's the one that said this, which shouldn't surprise us. And so I'm sure Jesus was probably like, at least I would have been this way. Really, Peter? Thank you. I had no idea that there were all these people surrounding me and so many of them were touching me. And so, Peter, what would we do without all of your tremendous insights at this moment? Listen, Jesus knew the crowd was about him. He knew lots of people were pressing in and touching him and bumping around him. But listen, he also knew that this touch was different. It was a touch accompanied by faith. As one commentator says, many touched him, but only one touched him with the fingers of faith. I suspect that Jesus knew who it was. But see, he wanted her to come forward. Jesus wanted this woman to publicly confess what she had done. Why? Because this woman needed to know that Jesus was the one that healed her and not his garments. And she needed much more than just physical healing. Listen, she needed spiritual healing. She needed to identify with the Savior, Jesus Christ, who could truly and fully save her from not just this disease, this this discharge of blood, but from the curse of sin, the disease of sin. 
And so Jesus looked around to see the woman who touched him. And we're told in verse 33, But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And so at this point, she, and you, you can understand why she would think this. She's wondering, will he reject me? Is he going to rebuke me? Is he going to be angry with me? Is he going to publicly shame me? like she had been for 12 years. But Jesus, listen, he is full of compassion, not condemnation. He was not interested in humiliating her. He wanted to help her and heal her fully. And so notice what Jesus said to her in verse 34. This is beautiful. Look at it. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And that term, daughter, that he uses, oh, that is so special. That is a term of endearment. And it is meant right off the bat to reassure this woman that she has nothing to fear. This is the only person Jesus ever refers to by that name, daughter. And so think about it. This poor girl nobody wanted has now been adopted by the ultimate father, You see the contrast that Mark is drawing out here. Jairus is a father who is pleading on behalf of his daughter, but this woman had no father to plead on her behalf. But through her faith in Jesus, God will be her father, for he is a father to the fatherless. And this was more than just a physical healing here. When Jesus said to her, your faith has made you well. In fact, that word that Mark uses well there, that word is often translated to mean to save. In reference to salvation from deliverance from our sin. And so Jesus loves us too much to just merely take care of our earthly sufferings. That's not why he came. He desires to save us from our sins, which provides true healing of the soul, which is what we need most, more than just physical healing. And so having been healed physically and now spiritually through her faith in Jesus, he now tells this woman, go in peace. Go in peace. We return to Jairus now who I can only imagine by this moment must be beside himself in much anxiety, perhaps even great frustration. His daughter, remember, is at death's door, and we're about to find out that she has already died. But that's when we see this very dramatic intervention by Jesus Christ, when Jesus raises a little girl from the dead. And so while Jesus was still speaking with this woman, some messengers came from Jairus' house with some heart-wrenching news in verse 35. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And again, to hear that your child is dead, that's got to be by far a parent's worst nightmare. No parent ever wants to hear those words. 
No parent ever wants to outlive their children. And so this more than likely is the darkest moment of this father's life. His daughter is dead. So why trouble Jesus any further? All hope for his daughter is gone. He might as well now go home and grieve with his wife and his family and his friends and begin making plans for the funeral. But notice what Jesus says here in verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Now, I don't know about you, but if it wasn't Jesus speaking these words, this would be ridiculous. It would be ludicrous to buy in to what someone says here. What do you mean, don't fear, only believe? Believe what? Are you kidding me? My only daughter is now dead. All hope is gone. But Jesus is the one speaking these words, and his words are never ridiculous. They are always true. They are always life-giving. So Jesus commands this broken-hearted father to stop being afraid and to believe. What do we take away from this? What do we we learn? What do we see for ourselves here? Let me draw out three things for us. First of all, we can believe in Jesus in spite of the circumstances. No matter how bad they may seem, no matter how hopeless they appear, no matter how impossible they are, humanly speaking, we can still believe in Jesus. Listen, Jesus is trustworthy in the most difficult circumstances of life, including death. Now, let me just stop and say that does not mean when we seek Jesus in prayer that he always answers our prayer and our request the way we want him to, in the time that we want him to, in the way that we want him to. That's not what this encounter is about. What Mark is showing us here is that Jesus is trustworthy, regardless, period. Regardless of how Jesus intervenes in your life and answers the request of your life. Jesus is trustworthy. We can believe in Jesus in spite of the circumstances. In fact, this father, maybe we, he saw, we certainly did a few Sundays ago on Easter Sunday, that in Mary and Martha's encounter with Jesus when their brother Lazarus died. Perhaps Jairus' first response was along the same lines of Mary and Martha, of these two sisters, when they said to Jesus, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. And so perhaps Jairus is even feeling a bit of bitterness and resentment now towards Jesus, thinking to himself, if this woman had not interrupted our journey home, my daughter would still be alive. We don't know what Jairus is thinking. We're not told. We don't know some of the emotions. What we do know is that Jesus responded to this very hopeless scene by telling Jairus to believe 
in spite of the circumstances. One commentator writes, Jesus was saying to him, don't go on fearing the worst, but do keep on believing for the best. In other words, Jesus is saying to Jairus, don't believe what you hear about your daughter, only believe in me. Another commentator adds, this is the challenge before Jairus and before everyone who meets Jesus, to believe only what circumstances allow or to believe in the God who makes all things possible. In other words, don't allow circumstances to replace your faith with fear. Psalm 112 verse 7 reminds us, Do not be afraid of bad news. Let your heart be firm, trusting in the Lord. So believe in Jesus in spite of the circumstances. That's what Jesus is telling this desperate father here. Second of all, we learn and can apply in our own lives here. Believe in Jesus regardless of the skeptics. Listen, hardcore realists who breathe the air of skepticism will always be around us. They will mock our faith in Jesus. They will ridicule our trust in a God that we cannot see. Nevertheless, only believe. Notice the skeptics in verses 37 through 40. Look what it says again. And he allowed no one. That is Jesus. Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of Jesus. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion. People weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they what at him? What does it say? And they laughed at him. They laughed at who? At Jesus. And that laughing is not like a fun laugh. It's a laugh of ridicule. It's a laugh of scorn, of mockery. Why? Because they think Jesus is ridiculous. They think he's out of his mind. They know that she's dead, and so they laugh at him. They, they mock him. How stupid can you be, Jesus? Of course he's dead. But notice Jesus' response here in verse 40. But he put them all outside the house and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Now, I have to admit, I just love this response by Jesus here. <laughs> he basically showed these skeptics the door. You want to mock me? You want to laugh at me? There's the door. And then Jesus went into the room where the girl was lying with five people. He took the parents and three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. And Jesus kicked everyone out of the house who basically did not believe in him. In other words, those who lacked faith in him were excluded now from seeing him demonstrate his power over death. Things haven't changed. Listen, faith still believes the incredible. Faith still sees the invisible. Faith still receives the impossible. Unbelief, on the other hand, receives nothing at all from the hand of God. So believe in Jesus regardless of the skeptics. Have faith in the sovereign Lord whose power is absolute. 
And then we see in this encounter here, this precious encounter, number three, that we can believe in Jesus because he has authority even over death. Now, again, just think with me a moment for this. Jesus, right now, at this moment in this encounter, he is facing the most feared, devastating enemy that the human race has ever known. Death. And Jesus simply takes this little girl's hand And he says in verse 41, little girl, I say to you, arise. And notice what happened in verses 42 and 43. And immediately, just like the woman, she was what? Immediately healed of her discharge of blood. And now this little girl is immediately, the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he said that for messianic reasons. And then he told them to give her something to eat. He said that for some practical reasons. Now, we can understand the response of the people here. Because literally, when they saw Jesus do what he did, it blew their minds. It left them stunned. And I think we would all be overcome with the same kind of amazement if we were there in that room and we saw this. We would be just like Peter, James, and John and these two parents. But in a sense, we should not be like them. Why? Because Jesus has authority over death. That's what Mark is showing us here. And Jesus, we know, will take the sting out of death with his own death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. That's why Jesus came. Do you realize that? Jesus came to defeat the devil and everything associated with the devil, including death. Hebrews 12, verses 14 and 15 tells us, Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. And so this miracle that we are seeing here, that Mark records for us, listen, it is a preview of what will happen one day, what will be one day. Because Jesus died and rose again. What that means is everyone who believes in him will also rise, like this little girl, to eternal life in glory. And so what a glorious promise that Jesus even tells us here this morning still. Do not fear. Do not fear what? Do not fear most of all death. Only believe. As you know very well, we've had more death in the last two years than we have in a long, long time. We are living in a culture of fear because of death. Listen, as believers in Jesus Christ, we do not have to fear death. And I hope if you are a believer that fear does not hang over you like a dark cloud of what is one day going to happen perhaps if Jesus tarries on 
and you die because your death is not the end. It is simply a transforming of a different place for you in the presence of our Lord. Jesus has conquered death. He is Lord over death. And so what can we take away from these two desperate situations here, from these two desperate people? Here's the one thing that you can take away, the one thing I pray you take away from here, and that is Jesus cares for those who are facing desperate situations in life. And since that is true, then turn to Jesus and trust him in your desperation. Do not turn to the world. Turn to Jesus and trust him. And in these two encounters, I hope you see, I hope you see the compassion of Jesus Christ. I hope you see the power of Jesus Christ in these two encounters. Listen, do not underestimate his compassion for you here this morning. Jesus responded to the cry, of a desperate father. He responded to the suffering of a desperate woman. Jesus cares for all kinds of people, whether they are highly respected, have high positions of power in the community, or they are insignificant by the community. It doesn't matter where you are on that spectrum. Jesus cares for all kinds of people who are facing desperate situations in life. So know that even you can come to Jesus and he will honor even weak, feeble faith when the object of that faith is him. Jesus wants you to turn to him. He wants you to trust him in your desperation. Why? Because as Mark is showing us here, he alone has authority over all disease and death. You say, how do we know that? Just look at the cross and then the empty tomb. And based on the cross and the empty tomb, Jesus can tell us even today here this morning, do not fear, only believe. Listen, the reality of the situation for all of our lives here this morning is that we are all diseased and we are all dying. So your situation and my situation is we are just like this woman and we're just like this little girl. We are diseased and we are dying. And the question is, where are you going to turn? All of us are suffering from a a spiritual disease called sin and our only hope from the consequences of that sin, which is death, is the Savior, Jesus Christ. Deliverance from this disease is found only in Him. Only Jesus has the compassion to die on the cross for you in your place to pay the penalty that you should have paid. For your sin, only Jesus has the power to give us new life with his resurrection from the grave and the power to resurrect our dead bodies to a glorious body for all eternity. And so if you haven't already, push through the crowd. You push through your circumstances. You push through your skeptics that are surrounding you and you cry out to Jesus Christ in saving faith with your heads bowed. Heavenly Father, in many ways, 
this passage reminds us that this world is a broken place where there are daily hardships. And sometimes small, they're sometimes grand, they're sometimes life-altering. But the realities of the fall is met in Scripture with the hope of the Savior Jesus Christ, who is Lord over every disease and death. And so in the midst of our desperation, in the midst of our weakness and fear, Lord, let us know that there is hope to be found in you. May you honor even our weak, feeble faith in you. May we get up in the morning and say, my Lord has compassion. The Lord has power. And because of that, there is hope. It's in his powerful name we pray. Amen. As we participate in communion, let us remember, let us take these next few minutes to remember what Jesus has done for you, specifically with his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Remember the compassion of Jesus that was expressed in his death on the cross, that we here may be forgiven of our sins. Remember the power of Jesus expressed in his resurrection from the grave that we now may share in new life with Jesus Christ. So we do not have to fear disease and death, even though it may ravish our earthly bodies. We are yet promised glorious new bodies. We are promised that because of Jesus Christ and his power, we will be resurrected we will be in his presence for all eternity. And so when you come and you participate in his juice, in the bread, which represents his body and his blood, sacrifice for you, you give thanks. You celebrate what Jesus has done for you. And so if you have confessed that Jesus Christ is your Lord, by trusting him for your salvation, you have identified with him in baptism and you are committed to his body in a membership of some local church like ours, then I invite you to participate here this morning in communion. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, that is, you have yet to place your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then, then I invite you to watch. Watch what we do as a body of believers here. And I pray you will see a, another picture of Jesus' compassion and power for you in these elements as we participate in As we already said, this bread and juice, it represents the body of our Savior, the blood of our Savior when he died on the cross. And it reminds us of who our Lord is, what he's done for us and is doing for us and will yet do for us when he returns. And so as the music begins to play here in just a minute, feel free to stand and walk to these four high top tables and grab one of these communion cups. The juice is in the top, the bread is in the second cup, which is on top of it, so just grab one, take it back to your seats, and I encourage you to offer a prayer of thanks to our Lord Jesus, Savior. As Jerry comes to the piano and begins to play, you're welcome to participate.